Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. You're listening to Wrestling Changed My Life. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. You're listening to Wrestling Changed My Life. My guest today is Cliff Fretwell. I know him as the hustler in wrestling, right? This guy is a grinder. You may know him as the face of Compound Wrestling. He runs an academy and also has a clothing brand. And this podcast doesn't go so much into the nuts and bolts of wrestling, but more so on his journey through entrepreneurship and how he turned his passion for wrestling into a full-time job. And I love talking to this guy because he's got a lot of energy, a lot of passion. I like that. So really think you'll enjoy it. My fan of the week goes to Matt Collum, who's out of Chicago. Man, back in high school, this dude was a stud, a brick house. And we appreciate you listening in, Matt. So without further ado, ladies and gents... Let me take you to this podcast in the dirty Atlanta, Georgia with Cliff Fretwell. The crazy thing to me when I was listening to your story was you were pretty much out of wrestling entirely, right? Like doing like web development and web design and then just got back in with the nonprofits. Like maybe just start kind of there because that's, that's the crazy part. Is that that's where it all started, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so I had... Uh... I had left Georgia State. I left Georgia State, not really because they lost their wrestling program, because I, I really wasn't like starting or anything like that. I was kind of just, you know, still trying to hang around, hang on to the wrestling dream or whatever. Um, but they, they actually had a, a, a ton of anchors on the team at the time. Like, not like we think about Georgia now, but like they had, you know, probably the the who's who of some of the guys that came out of Georgia at the time, like uh, Travis Belmere and Chris Frazier and some of these other guys that were like, you know, two and three and four time state champs. And they had uh, a couple other guys, I think like Jared Isell and some other guys. I know like, I think one or two years, they were a division one program. They, they wrestled Ohio state at home one year and some stuff like that. So like they were starting to establish, a pretty good program. Colonel Meyer, Gable's coach, was actually the one that started the program at Georgia State. And then I think it was a little bit of Title IX and a little bit of uh, scholarship issues. Um, there's a bunch of different stories. But anyways, they lost their program. Um, I kind of hung around for about another semester, I think. And then a buddy of mine convinced me to follow him to Art Institute of Atlanta to, to go to art school. And 
I really, originally I was getting a degree in, or I did get a degree in 3D animation and design and was going to do engineering design and, and things like that in the 3D world. But when I graduated, the dot-com boom had just hit. So like everybody was looking for web designers and web developers. So I got a job at a startup through a buddy of mine and just pretty much learned how to do web design and development like on the, on the job. And just had gotten into that and gotten into making money and then got married and, you know, this, that, and the other. And just started scaling away from wrestling a little bit. And I just didn't have time to do it. And I was fighting a little bit on the side. Um, so I was still kind of around that kind of grappling competitive thing. And some buddies had reeled me back in to, like, help them train on the wrestling end of it because they were fighting like super serious. And then I got sucked into it and I fought for, you know, four or five years MMA, but you know, I was kind of early 2000s. So like that whole scene was pretty sketchy. You know, I was like, dude, <laughs> we ended up fighting. Yeah. It was, it was really sketchy just cause like, I mean, you got like veterinarians as ringside doctors and all kind of crazy stuff. You know, it just wasn't established, you know, the Georgia athletic commission didn't oversee anything. I mean, it was just kind of the wild, wild west. So, um, did that for a while and it was, it was fun. It was more of a hobby for me than anything. I mean, some of the guys I was training with, like, were trying to make it big, but Watson Son, who just fought on the last UFC card, he was, it was like right when him and his two brothers came up, came to Atlanta from Brazil. So they're, uh, this whole group that, that kind of started out there. You know, um, some of those guys are still active. Most of us are really old now. But, uh, yeah, and then I started creeping back into wrestling a little bit. And uh, my oldest son came home with a flyer one day for, you know, middle school wrestling. And I looked into it. And it was one of the coaches that was coaching middle school when I came through. And he's a well-respected guy. So kind of started eking back into it and helping him out a little bit. And the high school coach that that middle school fed into was like, one of the legendary wrestling coaches in Georgia, Marty Hutzel. Um, and uh, I think he's only one of two coaches that are in the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame, one of two wrestling coaches. Um, but he's kind of won everything under the sun, so I kind of got back into it. And, you know, he's 24-7 wrestling and got sucked back into the fold. And then my, my oldest son ended up doing pretty good in high school, wrestled at Indiana, and then, you know, the rest is kind of history started – started getting sucked back into the fold you know how that goes so when did you get when did your kid bring that flyer home what year was that do you think oh man um it was probably still early 2000s i don't know the exact year um he's he's God, what is he 26 27 now so whenever whatever age he would be in middle school but it, it was it was a minute i mean it was probably you know i'd say 13, 14, 15 years ago, somewhere around in there, probably 2005-ish, 2004-ish, somewhere around in there, I would guess. Dude, but, uh, how crazy is it to think that if you wouldn't have done that, you probably wouldn't have got back in the sport? Maybe not. I mean, I might have gotten the itch later on, but um, anybody that's married with a, a wife that didn't grow up around wrestling can appreciate you know, the dangers of diving back into wrestling. <laughs> a, absolute, you know a diehard obsessed with wrestling. I mean, thank goodness, you know, my wife, you know, over the, over the years, like come to really like the sport and understand what it's done for both our boys. And obviously the hundreds of kids we've had come through our club or travel with us and, you know, just the relationships and the people we've met. I mean, our, our, 
you know, now we got two gyms and the clothing company and our lives pretty much evolve around. She's, I mean, she's as big a wrestling fan and diehard and supportive, you know, of, of everything wrestling as I am, you know, and to have that and, you know, have Stephanie be that involved on all the levels that she is, is, is extremely been a, you know, extremely beneficial overall, but gotta if you're a diehard wrestling coach and involved in wrestling and your wife has nothing to do with it it's extremely problematic you know i'm sure for a lot of coaches that out there might be listening can appreciate that but you know she's just been awesome you know and she's she's heavily involved in in everything we do and it's just it's good to have that support you know because usually a lot of times wrestling is a point of contention you know and it's it's for us it's just it's what we do every day so it's it, that's pretty cool well, you know, little did she know when she was marrying you that she was marrying an absolute crazy person when it came to wrestling, much like the rest of us. <laughs> um, you know. Yeah. Well, the funny thing at the time, I wasn't even really involved in it. You know, I, I had already started going to art school, and you know, and and that that kind of wrestling phase in my life wasn't even something that she she saw at all. I was actually running a I was actually running a local bike shop and like Hampton or Griffin, Georgia that this guy owned. And I was helping him run a bike shop and maintain a BMX track in Peachtree city. And that's actually where I met her. And I was completely out of wrestling at that time. I wasn't even fighting. I wasn't doing anything. I'd met her down there <clears throat> and, uh, and, and this like little park that they had down in Peachtree city. And I was down there, you know, working at the BMX track or whatever. And, you know, uh, that's kind of where we initially met, you know, so she had no clue of my obsession of wrestling until, you know, Anthony came home and brought that flyer. And then I was like, ah, you know, maybe I'll get around to helping a little bit. And then like after about a month, it was like <laughs> neck deep, you know, 24 seven, uh, <laughs> you know, so, um, she got kind of a wake up call then. Man, when did you, and then when did you form the Georgia wrestling Alliance? So, I need to go back and write this timeline down with people that hadn't had as many concussions as me. But when I, when I did it in my original podcast, like even Roper was like, dude, you're all out of whack. So like, I need to go back and figure out dates. Um, so I'm a little more accurate, but it was, man, it wasn't, I think it was the, it was probably the summer before Anthony's freshman year is when we kind of started doing that. Um, Josh and Mike Steven, who I credit a lot of keeping me in the sport, even through my competitive career, are both still coaching in Georgia. They're twin brothers. They've been around the, the wrestling scene forever. Um, they just drug me around everywhere they went and kind of opened my eyes to, you know, the, the higher level sport of wrestling. Um, even though I never got really good at competing at a high level, like they just took me everywhere and, um, kind of opened my eyes to it. And, um, me and him, Tom Mitchell and L.A. Ruffin, and I don't even think Lee Roper had gotten back to Georgia yet from App State, um, kind of were dragging, you know, our kids around the country. Josh and Mike were just helping. They didn't have any kids and yet. And uh, Tom Mitchell, you know, had, had a son in high school, T.J. Mitchell. He ended up going to Virginia Tech and um, I think then UTC. But um, there was just a need for us to, you know, to get kids out. Um, but at that time it was just a small group of dads, you know, kind of dragging these kids around the country. And then it was like me kind of looking at it from a marketing branding aspect and, you know, a movement aspect, 
Uh, and at the time, I didn't really realize I was trying to market a movement. And the movement, it wasn't an anti-Team Georgia movement, but it was a pro, hey, let's get our kids out there and wrestle the best kids in the country because that's the only way we're going to get better at competing at these events if we actually go to them and, you know, go to them over and over and over and over again. So, um, you know, most kids would wait till their senior year to go to Super 32 or their senior year to go to Fargo or something like that. And it was like, you know, the more they compete at these high levels. But, you know, you also got to understand all the all the national tournaments that exist now, you know, a lot of them weren't even around 10 years ago. And if they were, they were tiny, more like local type tournaments. They weren't, you know, what Super 32 and Iowa preseason nationals and NHSCA and, you know, some of these tournaments are now, you know, even like Disney duels and Grand River Rumble and stuff like that, that are, you know, thousands of competitors, you know, just, just weren't even, weren't even around or not even, you know, have numbers back then. So, um, you know, that's kind of where it started. And then, you know, LA rough. And at the time his, his kid was younger. He wasn't a high school kid. And we were primarily going to high school events and, I was like, man, we need to do something on the youth level. So we started Team Minion, which is, you know, still around today. I don't really have any involvement with it, but it's been one of the huge platforms for our youth kids to be able to travel nationally and around the country. And luckily for us, parents have taken it over, you know, as their kids have uh, kids have grown up and moved on. Other parents have, that have been a part of it have taken it over. And, you know, it's not always been ran the way I would have at, at the kind of purest level that I wanted to, but, uh, I mean, you can't argue like pretty much every kid that had success at Fargo this year, I would, I would venture to guess like a, a high percentile was kids that were involved in team minion, you know, from, from early on, you know, you know, Cade McCrary, Matthew Singleton, you know, Nick Masters, like, you know, all these kids that, you know, have been starting to cr- climb up the national ranks uh, over the last, you know, Caleb Henson over, over the last, you know, three or four years are kids that have been, Team Minion kids from, you know, day one, like Jackson Smith and stuff like that. And I'm sure I'm forgetting a million kids' names, but, you know, um, that's kind of where, you know, it kind of started and then it just grew. And then we had some momentum and then Team Georgia wanted to compete with the GNWA, which was fine with me, you know. So then, you know, by them trying to compete, they got a little bit more organized on one front. And instead of just the GNWA having kids compete nationally, we had Team Georgia had kids you know, you know, facilitating kids compete nationally. So it just ended up being a good united movement of, Hey, if you want to get good, you gotta, you gotta do the training as well, but we still have to hit these events. And, you know, there, there's people that go way overboard, you know, and compete too much, you know, and that's a whole other problem within itself. But what we did is we proved the concept that, Hey, if, you know, if you have a calculated training cycle and you do go to these events prepared that, you know, over time, think good things will happen. You know, and that's, you know, pretty much the way the sport of wrestling works. (laughs) So, no doubt. I mean, and so you would have, like, what, like a six-week camp. You'd say, hey, if you sign up for this, we'll we'll train you up, get you ready to take, you know, get you ready to go to Cedar Falls, and we'll drive you up to Cedar Falls, give you sick uniforms. And that was kind of the model at that time, right? Yep. Yep. It was, you know, we got really cool gear. And we're going to, I mean, and at the time, I'm, I'm pretty sure on some levels we were doing some illegal stuff as far as GHSA is concerned, because I was a community coach, like a volunteer coach. Um, and the way the Georgia rules work is if, if, if you're in school out of season, you can only work with two of your wrestlers at a time, and that's it. You can't go in a, a, a you can't work with other wrestlers 
Um, or if you do work with other wrestlers, none of your wrestlers that you coach during the regular season can be in the room. So, I mean, it was, you know, quite a few high school coaches by the time we got really rolling because Roper was at Harrison with Josh and I was at Henry County with, with Hutzel and, you know, some other coaches were being, were involved and we just had kids from all over the, the state, you know, coming to train. We just picked three high schools in Metro Atlanta and, you know, we weren't, we didn't even have like USA club charters. I mean, we we're just rolling the dice that nobody was going to get hurt <laughs> to us or the school or whatever. You know, I mean, it was just, it was just one of these like pure movements like, Hey, we're going to take, we're going to charge 150 bucks. You're going to train for five weeks. It's going to cover your bus ride up to super 32, your hotel up to super 32. And it basically just covered our cost. You know, we had right. a charter bus. We'd, we'd get block out hotel rooms. We didn't pay ourselves as coaches to do the training camp. You know, we were just, you know, we we're just diehard wrestling guys. And it, accidentally, we got way better at coaching, not only coaching these higher level kids and coaching at these national tournaments, but we were putting ourselves around other coaches who were trying to get better as well. So, you know, by that token, you know, you know, just me and, you know, me and Roper and the growth that we had just being best friends and starting a compound. I mean, we started that way before with, you know, Josh and Mike and, you know, there was another guy, Brandon Veazey, that was on the ground floor that decided in the middle of everything he was going to go to law school and he's a lawyer now and kind of is out of the scene. But, you know, there was just so many diehard wrestling purists involved that just being around that group, you couldn't help but get better in all aspects of wrestling, whether it was coaching or mentoring or training or just marketing and supporting the sport and things like that. So it was just a good organic like group of people. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it was one of those things that at the time it wasn't like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do this because, you know, we're and and 2019, we want all these kids in the Fargo finals. It, it wasn't that, I mean, cause we were so far behind at the time. It was like, man, we just literally, and this is no exaggeration and people will laugh at it. And I kind of look back and laugh at it now because my perspective has changed as our kids have gotten better, but used to, we would just, we, as coaches, we would tell ourselves when we went to NHSCA, like postseason nationals, that like, if our kids won a match, it was worth scholarship money to them. And that was our goal is just have our kids go to, go to NHSCA and wrestle and win some matches. And that to us, that was them upping their stock. So they could even begin to talk to a college coach to get a scholarship, you know, and now we're, you know, not to name drop it. I just got on the phone with Tony Ramos and he's down in Georgia right now visiting two or three kids. You know what I'm saying? And those yep. are their, their kids that were, you know, a part of that movement from the jump, you know? So, uh, dude, so you, you were know, just, just hustling, it, scrapping. I mean, you, it seems to me like you guys right. kind of had a chip on your shoulder because you kind of went against the, uh, the powers that be in the state, not against them, but you kind of did your own thing. And, and then overall it just helped grow the sport in general. Now Georgia's way 100%. up. Yeah, and looking back at it now, there's some aspects that were like me and Roper. I mean, we still talk all the time. Uh, and like looking back at it now, like every now and then we'll be talking about something. And he was like, that was a genius idea you had. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I, that wasn't my method to my madness at the time. It kind of played out that way, you know, and sometimes we get lucky. But that was one thing that I think has helped in retrospect, looking back at how I market with with compound wrestling and compound clothing now it's just you know you you're you can market a movement and you can market um not just 
you're not just a product or a service. Like you can get people behind something organically and have them feel like they're a part of something, you know, and then try to sell them something, obviously, or then kind of, you know, uh, align yourself with a brand or a service or a product based off some other things that you're doing. You know, um, and, and, and some of that was proof of concept by accident and some of it was proof of concept, you know, on purpose. But, you know, looking back on it now, we, we had no clue how it was going to play out. We kind of <laughs> fell flat on our faces and, you know, it could have been the same five dads and, and kids traveling around the country, you know, four years later and they graduate and then we all go our separate ways, you know. And the good thing is it, it didn't play out that way. And, and like you said, both sides you know, ended up growing from it, you know, and I'm a big critic of Team Georgia, um, not near as much as I, I, I used to be, but, um, you know, and I appreciate the role that they play, you know, in our, our, our state, you know, existence, and they're probably one of the more organized, you know, associations around statewide, and, you know, Robert Horton, those guys do a great job, but you're never going to make everybody happy on, on any scale when it comes to that type of thing, but um, just having wrestling people involved, you know, I think a lot of times with these state associations, the people that are willing to take these president jobs and these these high demand volunteer jobs at the at the state associations don't a lot of times come from wrestling backgrounds. So they don't understand our dynamic and our our cult like kind of, you know, craziness that we have um, and, and can organize and, and appeal uh, to that. But I think I think we're probably in the best phase uh, you know, team Georgia wise that we've had in a while. Um, and you know, I can make tons of improvements by how I teach, train, coach market with the compound, just like they can with team Georgia. But, you know, I, I, I'm pleased at the, you know, the progress that we're having now and the opportunities that they're providing for these kids. Now I, I really am. So, and that's the reason why we're having so much success right now on a state level. Um, it's just, everybody's kind of, you know, we're not always, we're not always working together and seeing eye to eye, but, but there's a lot of guys in the trenches now, you know, and it's, it's something that a lot of people try to give compound the credit for all of this success because me and Roper were on the forefront, whether it was flow stuff or rope well stuff or compound stuff and just the way we marketed, but it's, it's been a lot of people, you know, and there's a lot of private training facilities now that are taking these kids out of middle school or at a youth level and, you know, growing them into uh, elite competitors and, and, and good people, you know. So it's it's been cool to kind of watch all of that grow and progress and be on kind of a, a, a starting level of it, not necessarily the, the people that laid the foundation and that's why we have this now, but, um, you know, just kind of being a, a cog in the, uh, the machine from the jump is kind of cool to reflect back on. No question, and I mean – People don't realize how much you did volunteer-wise and just out of love of wrestling before you started Compound. And you know, for those of the folks who don't know, you know, you own Compound Wrestling as well as Compound Clothing, and we'll get into that in just a second. But you know, you were putting out content for Flow for a, was that before or after Compound was started? Was that kind of at the same time? Oh, I was way before. No, really, I was way before. That might be the the best dumbest thing me and Roper ever did was so connected us with so many people you know just being at events and commentating matches but 
this is the funny thing. This is the thing, man, you know, the story, what I tell people when we go back and look at it is, you know, we would take all these GNWA kids to Super 32 <clears throat> and they would all be out by the third round of the tournament. You know what I'm saying? So like, for the most <laughs> part, you know, we had tons of free time on our hands. So it was like, Hey, if you want us to film the quarterfinals, we don't have any kids to coach, you know? So we'll post up and film every single quarterfinal we can find. And at the time it was just Joe. You know, it was Joe Flo, you know, who's doing the grow wrestling stuff now. He's not with Flo wrestling anymore, but you know, Joe Flo was the, <clears throat> he was, he was the guy, you know, and we would, we, we had our own cameras by then, you know, I went and bought some, you know, some JVC, like hard drive cameras. Like there was only like a couple hard drive cameras you could buy back then, you know, like the mini DV cameras were a monster pain. Cause there was, you know, there was no digital time code that you could you know, just dump and, and split the split the clips up. It was just a nightmare. So as the hard drive cameras started coming out, you would literally, you know, just go sit down next to the mat with a tripod. You would film the bout number, you know, when the when the bout started. So you could go back in the paper brackets right. and label the match. You know, and then there was a certain way you had to label it, like, you know, name, then V S, then name, then comma, then R, which was the round, and you had to put the round in and then like the server would parse all that out and half the time it worked, half the time it didn't work. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so like, and you know, Joe's probably the best guy. I mean, we could sit around and do some coffee talk stories of some of our craziest, like flow, you know, experiences, but like we would literally have to spend all night labeling and uploading videos. But like once we did a first like big kind of national coverage, then people got conditioned to, oh man, well, the quarterfinals were today and the quarterfinals got uploaded that night, you know, so they were, they were starting to get spoiled. So if we missed a quarterfinal match or something happened or this, that, and the other, there'd be people just blasting everybody to pieces. Like, why aren't the quarterfinals at Why in this? And it's like, sometimes at the hotel Wi-Fi or internet, it wasn't even Wi-Fi back then. We'd have to plug straight in. The internet would be so slow at the hotel. We would go to another hotel and like try to upload from somebody else's room or a lobby or something. It Dude. was just crazy. The links we, yeah, it was crazy. The links we would go to just to get the content up. But like, it was like a, it was like addicting to us to like, see how many videos from a coverage we could get up. But like, we would just sit around and talk wrestling all night in a hotel room. Anyways, we were just doing it while we were labeling and uploading videos, you know, or we'd set a batch to upload and I'll put it on Joe Flo's laptop, plug it in to the, to the internet because we only have one plug per room. And then we'd go get something to eat or something and come back and cross our fingers and hope nothing bad happened to right. the upload, you know? And then, you know, sometimes they get hung up and up and, you know, stuff would never get back up, you know? And, you know, so like the, the product that people live with today that never lived with the product back then not even behind the scenes product but just the product in general it's like it's amazing you Night know how and many day. hours and, yeah oh yeah it's crazy you know so like me zeb you know roper joe flow you know were just some of the the early on people that you know just were too dumb to care how much time it took to put videos up there and you know we weren't getting paid you know, we'd get a flow shirt here and there, which was good enough for us. But, you know, it was just one of those things is we just did it because it was a grassroots movement. We knew our sport needed it. And, you know, that's the that's what we were going to do. We were going to do what we needed to do to get it taken care of. So, Well, people forget um, how much uh, at the beginning flow was mostly user generated content. I don't even know if they still do yep. that anymore. 
I'm, I'm sure they no, do. They shut that off a long oh, really? time ago. Oh, yeah. It got shut off. Man, it got shut off. Yeah, it's probably, I would say it's probably got shut off five, six years ago, I would guess. Because they're what, their 12th year now, I think, somewhere around in there. Yeah. So, yeah, it got shut off a while back. But used to, yeah, like Sports Engine has like the little video lockers and all the stuff you can do. Like Flow had all that way back in the day. You know, like you could film your whole school and your whole school's duels and stuff and upload them to a private channel and then share it with, right. you know, I mean, they, they had some really cool social media profile networking shareable type mo- like modules in their software um, that I think really now that social media has started to catch up with their concepts back then. And, you know, that's the thing, man. Like I think Martin Floriani doesn't give credit, doesn't get enough credit for the vision he had with slow wrestling and what he turned it into. Um, you know, and it's unfortunate he's not there anymore, but you already see he's going to have an impact on another industry. He's already gotten to work with Roxanne. Um, but, um, there were so many aspects to it back then that I think it was just a management problem. They couldn't manage it well enough and keep it at, you know, keep, keep continuing to scale it and have it on the right platform to scale. Cause nobody will know who Madhu uh, is, but Madhu was the original, one of the original founders and developers for flow. And we would work with him like directly, like me and Roper and, 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 and Joe flow and, and us guys, if we had issues or bugs with the system, we would just email them and work through it together. And as I was learning more in the web industry, I was able to, you know, to, to help him way more on a technical standpoint when it, when it came to, you know, doing, you know, new modules and stuff like that and, and user interface stuff for, for flow wrestling. So, you know, just being on the ground floor, that growth, not only for, you know, the way our business has progressed, but just being a part of flow and, and that whole ground level is just, it's, it's crazy to think, come look back and think about how it started and where it's at now. You know, and, and they just, they made a decision to go with a streaming model, which I, you know, I, I think they did their market research and made the right decision, but, uh, you know, having the, you know, having the community be able to contribute on the level they were, um, I think there's a lot of content that, that flow benefited from, from the community contribution, but it's just so tough to regulate and oversee, you know, especially now, if you could imagine everybody that's a Flow member now could upload video for free. I mean, that side would be an absolute mess right now. You well, know what I'm saying? I used to like it because if you miss the NCAAs, some user would record it from their TV and then upload it before it would get ripped down. You could go in there and watch it, you know, because back then, oh yeah, well, even now you can't watch NCAA stuff on Flow, but that was the, the beauty of the user-generated content. All kinds of copyright violations, man. <laughs> Sure, 100%. Yeah, I mean, and that was, you know, like, looking back, like, they had this little uh, uh, drum and bass uh, band that they used to get music from called the Honey Claws, and, like, they just used the Honey Claws for, like, every vo- every soundtrack they did a little video mashup of back then. You know, it just they just didn't have the means or the funds and things like that, and they were just making it work, you know? And, you know, that was, that was one of those things is just watching the progression, but, I mean the bigger you get, you know, the, the more they're going to come after you for that type of stuff. And, you know, I get it. They had to go legit, you know, and that's, you know, that's, you know, that's the decision they made to do that. Uh, but, uh, and like I said, I, as much as I enjoy being a contributor and being able to put content up and stuff like that, I, I understand, you know, the, the route they took, 
you know, and I think obviously you can't make a case for pro wrestling not having a huge impact on the sports growth and how it's covered and this, that, and the other. And, you know, for, I just, I'm, I'll be honest with you, man. Like I'm not, I'm not a very violent person, man, but I just want to just punch people in the face when I hear them screaming about 140, 150 bucks a year for, for flow wrestling. I mean, it just blows my mind, you know, that the content that you get for, for that amount of money per year, um, it's just, it's just amazing to me. So, um, yeah, man, that was cool. That was a cool thing to be a part of, you know, and we just, our, our wrestling super fandom took us, you know, took us in that direction. And then, you know, the whole Ropewell thing, you know, kind of started and, you know, that just got organic and grew to a level that was just kind of crazy for even me and Roper. I mean, I'm super social and I love meeting people and talking wrestling and Lee's way more of an introvert. So, you know, other be like, yo, I saw this and saw that. And like, you know, kind of being blown away that people recognize us and watched it and like enjoyed it, like, and we're keeping up with it. Kind of like, you know, man, we was basically a podcast before podcasts were around, you know, and that's, you know, man, if we'd have had the Ropewell podcast, you know, now with the, with the, with the momentum and the interest we had back then, I mean, who knows what, what it would have turned into so or what it could have turned into. I mean, you who who's Roper and what's the Ropewell move? I'm not familiar with that. I know it's so a buddy. So Lee years, Roper but. is the guy. Yeah. So Lee Roper was the guy that I started everything with. So he 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 wrestled at App State. He moved back to Georgia and started coaching right when all the GNWA stuff kind of started kicking off. He was coaching at Harrison High School with Josh Steven. and uh, like I said, Josh was a longtime friend of mine. So I met him through Josh, and like we just connected on a different level as far as wrestling. Um, and it was, it was such a great balance because I'm wild and loud and crazy and social. And he's very like reserved and calculated and kind of introverted. So like, you know, it was just a perfect fit, um, to, to balance us both out. And, uh, he ended up, you know, like I said, he was one of the co-founders of compound. Now he's a head assistant coach at you and I, um, so, you know, for, you know, the 10 years he was a part of compound wrestling well, the the gyms we started and i mean he pretty much started the clothing company with me too um on the ground floor you know we 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 had a fantasy wrestling league that we did every year with uh travis Gerard and some other guys um travis is the guy that that does a lot of the stats for the mta tournament he runs the southern stuff and stuff he's a coach down here in georgia at north for sites and you know so we had a fantasy league and i, I remember one day like i had lied to my wife about I told her Joe Flo was going to pay my way and pay me like 300 bucks to go help him cover the Vegas invite but I made a little money doing some freelance work and I was paying my own way but she didn't know about it I don't even know if I've ever told her to this day as many times I've told this story I still don't think she knows about it so I was getting ready to leave to go to the Vegas invite to help Joe Flo cover it I think it was the year and I can't remember, I think it was a year like the Julius had a crazy upset in like the quarters or something. I can't remember what year it was, but anyways, so I'm getting ready to leave and me and Roper are like getting our lineups together for the weekend. Cause the Vegas invites like a big first big weekend where a lot of ranked guys hit each other in the, in the season. So we're arguing about something. And, uh, I was talking about Frank Molinero, this, that, and the other. And that's when I gave Frank Molinero the nickname, the gorilla hawk. We were arguing about something. I was like, you know what? I was like, let's film this. So when I, when I'm right 
because he was always right about everything. And I would just say dumb stuff, and he would always be right about it because I didn't, I wasn't stat, I, I didn't keep up with stats like him or this, that, and the other. And I was, I was usually always wrong. And I was like, you know what? We're gonna video this, so when when you're wrong, I'll have proof that you're wrong, and we'll go back and watch it. He was like, no, and I was like, dude, I was like, honestly, let's video and just put it on flow, the whole thing. And he was like, that's the dumbest idea ever. And I'm just like, he was like, nobody will watch it. And I was like, okay, well, you know, let's do it anyway. So we did. And that was like the kickoff. So we started doing all these previews and we would sit down. And it would just be me and him talking about every weight class of all these tournaments. And we'd do Ironman and, you know, we'd do college, high school, preseason, postseason. And there's still a bunch of them up on Flow Wrestling. If you'll go, if you just go search for rope well, there's a ton of them up there. And then over the years, as we got better at them, you know, we got a little fancy backdrop. And then every now and then we'd have guests come in and, you know, be a part of it. But for the most part, it would just be me and him in the middle of the night when I got home from work, you know, talking about wrestling and videoing it and throwing it on Flow and, it was basically what Flow Flow Wrestling Radio Live is now. We just did it way back early days of Flow, and it was just all video. We didn't we didn't put the audio out or anything like that. And it just it just kind of blew up, you know, way bigger than we thought it was going to be. And that's that's when like we started getting associated a lot more with Compound because we had started the gyms by then, and uh, you know, so we were taking kids to tournaments and we'd have our Compound stuff on in the in the rope well previews, and people started associating you know, the both of them together. So that was one of those accidental, it was huge for brand growth for the compound, but we just really didn't set out to do it. Now people, you know, set out to create content to use to market their, you know, business, which we I still do today, you know, and it's a huge part of, you know, how our brand has grown and continues to grow and, and things like that is, you know, to put the content out there. But at the time when we were doing it, we were just doing it, you know, to preview, preview wrestling tournaments and put video out on the, on, on the flow wrestling website. So dude, so that's, what's awesome about this whole story is, you know, if I look at compound now, I'm like, man, how can I get there? Right. How can I make my job, my love for wrestling and, and, and sell awesome clothes and put out really sweet content and have, I don't want to do the coaching part anymore. I used to do that with my brother, but just more so on the media and the clothing side. But People forget that you guys are putting out content for years and years going to God knows how many matches and tournaments before you kind of went out with Compound. And now you're running this business. You have the training facilities as well as the clothing company. Kind of as we wind down, I was hoping I could run just a kind of just a couple of rapid fire questions at you more so about business and marketing and, and kind of how you guys got to where you're at today. Sure, man. I got I got plenty of time, man. Cool. Far away. Po- awesome. So what are some like crazy stories or yeah, I guess stories or like obstacles you guys ran into when starting like the t-shirt business, for example, or when you started the wrestling business? Cause it seems like you guys kind of learned along the way, but any major things that jump out to you there? Uh, <laughs> just not having a clue what we were doing on any level. Um, the clothing company came about on a whole different, you know, and if you listen to the first episode of uh, The Hustle, I kind of touched on that. You know, I mentioned Brandon Veazey earlier. Um, I was just designing these clothing and uh, I was getting brute to make our singlets, but I was doing all the designs and I was just sending, you know, local screen printer art to screen print. And then, 
you know, called up brew and was pretty much paying you know, retail pricing for singlets. Like, you know, I, I wasn't making any money. And then we'd be at tournaments, you know, and people would be like, oh, who, who designed your uniforms? I want to use them. And I'd be like, well, I'm, I designed it, but, you know, Brute printed it or whatever. Um, and they'd be like, well, can I pay you to design my uniforms? And I was like, sure. But, you know, wrestling people are tend to, to be historically cheap. So, like, charging somebody 500 bucks for, a, you know, like a, a uniform, you know, package design is just not something anybody's going to pay for. So, like, I would start doing some smaller things and then, I started feeding a, a local team wear company um, the, all of all of the business that I was getting through me just because I could I couldn't like I couldn't manage the the design because I was working at an ad agency running the gym and then doing freelance on the side like web stuff and I was doing kind of some freelance design stuff for you know people that wanted the uniform design so um, Brandon was like dude, you just need to start a clothing company. And I'm just like, yeah, I got so much time. I'll just start another company and, you know, no big deal. <laughs> I just won't sleep. At, I don't already sleep. So um, he he went and, you know, by the time he's he's done with law, by this time he's done with law school and he just shows up at the gym one day and me and Roper are getting done with practice and he just sets paperwork on our desk. He's like, you own Compound Clothing LLC. And I'm like, you're an idiot. I'm like, I'm never going to do anything with that. And he was like, yeah, you are. He was like, I know you. And he was like, it might sit here for a month. He was like, but you'll do something with it because it's going to bug you on the fact of what it could have been, you know, and, and you, you'll you follow through with it. You'll at least give it a shot. I know you. And I've known Brandon forever, and he was right. So um, the Save Olympic Wrestling thing was kind of our jumping off point for our brand. You know, wrestling got taken out of the Olympics. I designed these Save Olympic Wrestling shirts. I created the Save Olympic Wrestling Facebook uh, page like the day it happened the morning it happened i designed the shirt i created a facebook page facebook page ended up it had like 30 40,000 followers by lunchtime that day damn um, it ended up it ended up capping out at like 120 when it was all said and done but i was just putting the shirts on there and then i was like hey you know when you buy a shirt post send us a picture we'll post it and it just became this huge organic thing and we sold you know nine ten thousand shirts all over the world and, uh, you know, so now I'm staying up all night with a computer and, and a bootleg USPS printer. Like I didn't have the infrastructure to do shipping and receiving and all that stuff like a normal company would. So <laughs> that's where I realized at that point that like, you know, A, I can't do everything. B, you got to have the right fundamentals and infrastructure and tools in place to do it. Um, and sometimes be careful, you know, be careful what you wish for. Cause I'm like, yeah, we're going to sell a million of these shirts. And then we start selling ridiculous amounts of shirts. And I'm like this screen printer down the road who don't know me from anybody. I've given him up to this point, maybe a thousand dollars, you know, $1,500 worth of business. You know what I'm saying? That it right, wasn't right. NWA stuff. And now I'm hammering this dude. I was like, dude, I need, you know, 200 more shirts by tomorrow. And he's like, basically like, Hey, my business doesn't revolve around you. You know, so supply and demand became this huge, like, reality check for me. It's like, okay, well, you know, I can't go, I can't just go down here whenever I want and this, that, and the other. But when we decided to actually make the clothing business like a thing, we had no clue how to print a t-shirt. You know, we had no clue what, what materials we needed, what type of equipment we needed. Everything was trial and error. And it just, you know, we broke so much stuff and ruined so much stuff and, 
you know, we'd go buy expensive equipment with the freelance money that I was making. We'd ship in and buy this equipment and then realize it was the wrong equipment. And it was just, it was a ton of trial and error. But the beautiful part of that was, is like, I wasn't completely dependent on the clothing at the time. I was still doing some freelance work. My wife was working at a law firm. So we were still stable. Now Roper jumped in head first, both feet, quit his teaching job and he was running the gym and um, that's all he was doing at the time. And then I ended up, uh, Verizon was one of our big clients at the ad agency and I was the art, dire- one of the art directors and they lost a big account. I ended up getting laid off and I came home and I, I just told Roper, I was like, man, I think we can make this clothing and wrestling thing work. I don't know how, but I think let's, let's try it. And like, of course, asking my wife if I could be a wrestling coach and start a clothing company on the heels of me getting laid off probably wasn't the most, you know, uh, practical thing to do. But, you know, at the end of the day, it, it started working itself out. And I eventually uh, convinced her to come over to the dark side and help me run the company. And, you know, uh, we still make a ton of mistakes. You know, we, we still learn every day from our business. But, you know, the marketing background that I had, helped out a ton. And I think the vision I had for what I wanted to do in the team wear industry, which was very stale at the time. And, you know, there's still a lot of companies out there putting out stale team wear and just, just very templated stuff. And I wanted to be a full custom team wear company. And, you know, a lot of people haven't because, because it costs a lot of money to have good designers, you know, on salary, you know, you can't pay good designers 30, 40 grand a year. I mean, if you want a good agency level designer, I mean, you, you got to spend some real money, you know, and having that overhead is, is something that a lot of people don't think is important to have, you know, and, and it's something that we, you know, we see a lot of value in and, you know, that's how we, you know, that's how I think we've, we've kind of put a, a decent footprint in the market is having a look and, and a service that a lot of other people aren't willing to provide. So, um, you know, I, I think that's been a nice little niche that we've carved, carved for ourselves, but it's, it's definitely been a challenge, you know, and, and, and keeping good talent on, on the payrolls, every business is challenge, whether it's coaches, cause we've had co- coaches come and go. Um, but to me, if, if it's a springboard for the next phase of their life, I'm okay with that. Even sometimes, you know, departures aren't, aren't the best, you know, when it comes to employee, employer, um, I like to think at the end of the day, if, if they're better in themselves um, and, and we're a little bit of a springboard for, for them to, to move on in their career, or give them a skill set to move forward in their career. I think it's, you know, I think it's kind of an admirable approach I want to take. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, people leave and go start competitive, you know, businesses, you know, and you got to deal with it. And, you know, it's, uh, that's the, the life cycle that, pretty much every business lives in that, that's trying to grow and add top tier talent, you know, to their roster is, you know, people are going to go and some people are going to go and turn around and compete against you. And, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't hold anything back with employees that we have as far as trying to teach them every aspect we can about their job or our business or where they want to be in the future of our business. But um, that's, that's probably the biggest learning curve for us still is just, you know, what direction we want to grow our business, how we want to grow it. I mean, we're dealing with seasonal, seasonal markets, right? So if you only want to do wrestling team wear, I mean, you're, you're dead for dead, dead for, you know, several months out of the year, 
Right. You know, and if right. you have a, 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 a healthy staff, you know, they can only sweep and clean up and, you know, and, and do, you know, maintenance work so many months out of the year. So how do you fill those voids of, of seasonal team wear? Well, you can go get other sports, but, you know, getting into other sports and other markets is, is usually a challenge when your footprint, your, your expertise, your network, everything that you have that you've built this business on is in a huge footprint in one market. So you got to go learn other markets. You got to take chances. You got to, got to hire talent that, that can speak to those other markets and sell to those other markets and resonate with those other markets. So that's been something in the last couple of years, you know, that we've, you know, that we've done a lot of research and tried to build in the right direction for with our sales staff and things like that. And, you know, it's, you know, it's a business, you know, so it's, a, it's, it's a constant challenge. You know, and it's not always sunshines and lollipops, but at the end of the day, you know, we control all our big wins. We control all our big losses and, you know, just own them and move forward, you know, and, and try to try to learn from them either way. That's it, man. And th- honestly, dude, there's so much more I want to ask you about, like entrepreneurship and social media, but I know you got to get going. I actually have to run as well, but you maybe I could have you back on at some point because there's a lot around just the digital stuff that I haven't even got into yet, man. But I really, really appreciate the time, man. You're an inspiration to me, and I'll, uh, I keep following and just keep on doing it, brother, because it's awesome to see. Anytime, man. Like I said, I mean, it's it's still kind of weird for me to be in this, you know, I'll get DMs and stuff from whether it's kids that I did a camp for, people like you that are that are trying to find their way in the, you know, in the business world. And it's still kind of surreal for me to people be like, hey, like, I look to you as like the model or you did this and you did this. So I, I still don't see myself in that light. And I, I totally appreciate that, I, that I can be that guy. Um, but man, I've had so many amazing people help me get to where I'm at right now. It wasn't just me and Roper and my wife. I mean, we've had some, I got some great mentors that I can call and they'll tell me the truth, man. You know, I'll call them and be like, Hey, I got this problem or I'm doing this and I'm doing this. And I got good mentors that'll, that'll tell me the truth. They won't sugarcoat it. And, let me feel sorry for myself. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll guide me in the right direction and they'll pick me up when I need to, but they're just like a, they're just like a good coach, man. They build me up when I need to be built up and they, they, they break me down when I need to be broken down. And that's, that's one huge thing that's, you know, helped us get to where we're at today is just having great people around us. You know, that, that some of them don't even have a vested interest. You know what I'm saying? Some people just, you know, they, they, they know what we're about and what we're trying to do and they, they don't mind helping out and giving their perspective. So um, anytime, man, anytime we can make it work, I got no problem. Uh, this is something that, you know, that, that is definitely important and, and I, and I talk and think about it a lot and, and explore it a lot. So yeah, man, anytime, man, just holler at me. I would love to chat it up. Will do brother. Take care, man. Thank you. That's the end of this episode, but definitely not the end of the show. For more episodes, please go to wrestlingchangemylife.org. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a star rating. Show the love, baby. Show the love. Thank you so much. We'll see you again soon. Peace.